This is Carl Truman speaking on behalf of the Mortification of Spin team. We've been producing the program for over two years now. I want to thank our faithful listeners and those who perhaps just joined the conversation for supporting our efforts in providing what we hope is a helpful resource to those in the pulpit and the pew. Here's what a couple of our listeners, Nayara and Adam, are saying about the show. My name is Nayara Andrasik. I am a housewife. I am a homeschool mom, and I'm also a student. Mortification of Spin has been very helpful for me and my husband and my whole family because it has helped us to exercise discernment and critical thinking about contemporary evangelical trends. It has forced us to think about things that we wouldn't normally do. The show on the sexual abuse, we had never put any thought into that because we sometimes think that those things would never happen in the church. It was, it was very touching. It was very, it hit me very hard to think that those things can happen anytime right next to you, even in your church. That helped us think a lot about those kind of issues so important for the church today to know their theology and how that plays out in the world when you're going to work, when you're teaching your kids at home, uh, whatever you're doing. My name is Adam Wilson. I'm currently studying at Westminster Theological Seminary, preparing for pastoral ministry. I've been listening to Mortification of Spin since day one, really, and I continue to listen to Mortification of Spin because I think they're just really good at raising questions that otherwise wouldn't be on my radar. The application isn't just for ministers and how to care for congregations, but it's also for the everyday congregant and about how they can love each other well and think through difficult doctrines. And they don't dumb it down. I've really loved the episodes where they just provide basic but really needed advice about what books to read with your children what books are good for family devotion, how to prepare for the year ahead, knowing that there's going to be lots of questions that are going to be asked. I have a two-year-old little boy and a brand-new baby, and the idea of having resources at fingertips so that we can know how to best answer questions but also help them at growing faith has been, has been really encouraging. We hope you continue enjoying our programme. Of course, it does cost to produce the program, and so we'd like to ask you to consider perhaps donating some small amount, whatever you can afford, to help cover our costs and keep Mortification of Spin running. If you'd like to donate something to help keep the program running, please go to mortificationofspin.org to give. We do appreciate your consideration and hope to keep conversations that count going for years to come. Thank you so much for listening, and a special thanks for giving. Now, back to the program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We all have some experience with public prayer, and usually it comes to us in church from the pulpit. Today the hosts discuss prayer's theology, how public prayer is used during worship, and what the criteria should be for such prayer. Do you agree with Carl, Amy, and Todd? Only one way to find out. 
Well, today a modification of spin. Before we get to the topic that we're going to discuss, we have a little celebration. Uh, one of our team has just passed a milestone birthday. Uh, Amy Bird, I think, a youthful 53 now. Is that correct? 53. 53, yeah. That's correct. <laughs> Certainly aged a lot. pretty darn good for 53. At least, you know. Uh, I don't know. You look okay for 53. That's... <laughs> Hey. I'm going to guess 52, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> Guys, I turned 40. Mm, 40, 40 years old. I remember 40. Carl, do you remember 40? I think so. It's the one that comes after 39, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I do. And, and, and I looked, I looked great when I was 40. Yeah. I, looked, I, looked, I looked a whole lot better than Amy when I was 40. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. I had longer hair than Amy. <laughs> you had longer hair than me? Oh, yeah. On your I did face? The ponytail thing. It was awesome. It was it was good when Todd's mullet went, I have to say. We, we were <laughs> I think forty's better than thirty nine. Really? Yeah, thirty nine kinda stunk. You were just turning forty the whole time. Mm. Now I'm just in it. Mm-hmm. In it to win it. You're on the other side of the hill, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're in the same decade as Todd and myself now. That's, you're, that's you're a little scary. You're immensely <laughs> privileged. That's the time that, to start taking less care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean well, I've given up, clearly. Yeah. Well, start. the thing is, nature is killing you so fast at this point that you can start to indulge all those vices that you, your mother told you you shouldn't do because they would make you ill and shorten your lifespan. And I can get a smoker right. voice like Todd now. Yeah, smoker voice. <laughs> yeah. We need Todd to sing you happy birthday later oh, on. Oh, man, but... I'm not about to do that. I, 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 <laughs> only sing, I only sing spontaneously. You know that. <laughs> oh. I could do the, I, maybe I'll do the, the Beatles version of happy, of happy birthday later on, but I've I got to feel it. i got to feel it. I'm sorry. I, I'm an artist. You cannot command art. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of another word there, but uh, we'll <laughs> let that stand. <laughs> well, what are, we, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about uh, public prayer and prayer in public. Mm-hmm. Important aspects of the Christian life. Um, I want to start by talking about what I would describe as the lost art of pulpit prayer. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that one of the things that well, I would say about my own seminary, it's not that we teach it badly, it's we don't teach it at all. How to lead a congregation in prayer. Uh, the prayers in a worship service are a significant moment. They are didactic in that they can be full of good theology and focus people's minds on thinking correctly about God. But they should also be, uh, they should also honor God in the way that they lead people into his presence. And I think that in in some ways, therefore, public prayer, pulpit prayer, is as important and serious as the sermon itself. And yet it's something that we we just don't teach. Maybe it's because we have a fear that you know, prayer is supposed to be, to go back to your art, Todd, it's meant to be spontaneous. Right. Yeah. Uh, that gives us a, a feeling that we shouldn't teach it because if we teach it, it's less than spontaneous. It's less than authentic. What do, what do you think? Well, I think that's one of the common errors that we find in contemporary evangelicalism is that if anything, whether it's worship or prayer or sometimes even preaching, if it's not spontaneous, then it's not authentic. And, of course, being inauthentic is the greatest sin uh, these days, it seems, among contemporary Christians. And so, yeah, I, I, th- I think we need to um, to kind of fight that notion that, that a prayer is only a real... Um, if it's something that's on the fly, and uh, restore once again, t- certainly to our public gatherings, um, this notion that 
prayers, like sermons, can be, and oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, um, should have preparation go into them. There should be some planning. There should be some thought. Because it, along with being something that, that, for instance, during in our services, during our pastoral prayer time of intercession, it's something I'm, I'm, I'm really doing on behalf of the people. I really am praying for them. But there's a didactic element, as you mentioned. We, we want to bring to our prayers lofty thoughts of God. Um, we want to bring to our prayers some of the language that God has given us in Scripture. And so, therefore, some preparation is good. I, I think, um, you know, Spurgeon was, was well known for this. And Spurgeon uh, talked about uh, that time where the pastor is interceding for his people in the corporate gatherings as being as important um, as, as the sermon. And I think we can learn from that. I think it's, I was going to say, I think it's actually true that Spurgeon would not allow others to do the pulpit prayer for him. He would have other people in his true. pulpit. But yeah. if he was there in the service, yeah. he considered the prayer so important. And because he was the pastor, yeah. he would actually not allow others to lead his congregation in prayer when he was present. Wow. Yeah, when I, on, on Sundays when I don't preach, if I'm there on that Sunday, I'll do the, the, the intercessory prayer. Because I love to do that on behalf of our, our people. I think it's a, a, a key... Um, duty for for a pastor. Not that others. Not that we don't have other pastors on staff who can do that. But I I love to do that. Don't you think it's it's more authentic to plan for that and to prepare for that than because of the weightiness of um, speaking on behalf of the whole congregation mm-hmm. before God and upholding the glory of God yeah. in this prayer? I think that's a great point. Is that, you know, why does authenticity have to mean unpreparedness? Yeah, I think spontaneity is, should not really be a criterion at all. When you think about hymns, I don't stand up in front of my congregation and say, okay, the organist is now going to, the, the pianist is now going to improvise, and I want you all to scat sing to the Lord. <laughs> I point them to a hymn. I point right. them to a hymn. And even, even the sort of, some of the, 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 the very contemporary worship. I've never seen a contemporary worship service where people right. are scat singing. Right. They always have set forms of words, and nobody seems to think that that undermines the the value, the genuineness, the authenticity of the worship. Right. So I think uh, spontaneity is. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's relevant as a criterion for judging whether something is authentically spiritual or not. Mm-hmm. We can pray spontaneously, obviously. And I actually prefer to pray extemporaneously when mm-hmm. I'm leading in prayer. I think that there is, for me, I'm very comfortable doing that, and I think that's an important thing to, for, for me to do. But I don't criticize students. When I get students to lead worship or other elders lead worship, I don't criticize them for writing their prayers out because I would rather have a well-written, coherent, sound, orthodox, God-honoring prayer that was written out the day before and then said in church mm-hmm. than some guy spouting heresy. I'm sorry, I don't think there is any possible universe out there where the phrase, oh Lord, we just want, should occur in a pulpit prayer. I'm sorry, I don't care how spontaneous that is. That is is stylistically egregious, and I think it it just shows some of the intellectual laziness that lies, and cliched laziness that lies behind so many public prayers. Yeah, count count the the number of times somebody says just that. Just it's yeah. one of those classic verbal pauses that fills, unfortunately, our. When our it's easy prayers. to repeat one word over and yeah. over again when you aren't planned, 
And yeah. s- some people can do it well extemporaneously, but a lot of people can't. And I, and yeah. I appreciate written prayers being read from the pulpit. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, what, what, what the person who's leading <clears throat> in prayer has to, has to understand is that they are not engaging in their personal devotional experience when they're leading in public prayer. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. praying on behalf of yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And that, that merits a little bit of preparation. Now, I, I don't go up in the pulpit on Sunday mornings with a scripted prayer, although I don't mind that, but I do take notes. I go up with notes of specific things I want to be sure yeah. to pray about because yeah. I actually think we're doing something when we pray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I will make often jot down notes, just words I want to use or little mm-hmm. phrases, and before I stand up, I'll just flick through them before I get up to lead in prayer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Valley of Vision, the book from Barrett. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Very yeah. good. Before I lead in, in, lead in worship, generally read a couple of prayers in the Valley of Vision, pick mm-hmm. up a few phrases, jot them down to mm-hmm. use in you know, the prayer of invocation or the prayer mm-hmm. of confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let, let me ask this. Um, <clears throat> as we think about praying in, in our public worship as, as something that has a didactic element or, or, or a means by which we're teaching some things, what, are we, what do we seek to teach? What are the most important things we're seeking to teach our congregation um, as we pray for them, as we intercede for them publicly? There's a great line in Daniel Block's book, For the Glory of God, where he says, through public prayer, believers express, reinforce, and develop the theology of the church, and they express their oneness with each other and with Christ. And I think that answers that question really well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I think the form is important as well, that the, the very casual way that some people pray in public is inappropriate mm-hmm. because yeah. we are approaching a holy God. Right. I think it's always important. Certainly, we, you do this when in the prayer. Of, if you have a service, we have a prayer of invocation and a prayer of confession. There has to be a focus on the holiness of God, the transcendence of God, and the finite, sinful nature of humanity. There has to be. Yeah. So you're not only acknowledging your status before God; you're reminding the congregation of their status before God mm-hmm. as well. Do either uh, Amy or Carl? Do either of your churches have a a weekly? On the Lord's Day, a, a weekly congregational confession of sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, do too. we read that together a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. Sometimes we use a liturgical one where we will read mm-hmm. it. Other times, the the person leading in prayer leads in a prayer of confession. Mm-hmm. Right, and we uh, have both of those as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I think Book of Common Prayer and Valley of Vision very good mm-hmm. for infusing your mind with with some language and concepts mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So let me ask this. What would you say to the person who says, you know, that kind of formalized, because we have a formal confession of sin, that kind of formalized prayer, whether it's in confession of sin or that kind of thing, that's that's kind of anti-Holy Spirit. It deadens the the moment. How, How do you answer that? You're an idiot. Go away and read the Bible. <laughs> that would be my, my enough said. <laughs> Amy, what about you? You're a layperson. You're being led on the Lord's Day in some cases in formal prayers like that. You know, how how would you answer the critic that says, "Oh, that quenches the spirit," and you know, that's too Roman Catholic or or that kind of thing? What, what's your Confessing our sin together as a congregation is quenching the spirit. <laughs> right. I mean, it's beautifully spirit led. And I think it gives a lot more honor to God and to his holiness for us to have a planned way of doing that together instead of a chaotic 
way or just, you know, giving us a silent minute, which a silent minute is nice to do after a -hmm. confession in unison. But, you know, just going back to this expressing our oneness with each other and with Christ, well, we do that by confessing together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the weightiness of, for instance, a confession of sin, boy, that, that right. merits a little preparation, doesn't it? Right, right. I mean, it's so easy to take sin lightly. Right. And it's very easy, I think, for all of us to just generalize in our yeah. confessions of sin. Yeah. So when we have something prepared, it is convicting and it, it's yeah. humbling. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good because, you know, like like each week in our corporate confessions of sin, you know, the prayers are, are different each week, but they're they're real specific. I mean, mm-hmm. we're naming real specific things that, you know, each week I know there's at least a couple of things in there I identify with personally. Right. They're scripturally they're led. Uh-huh. And I mean, I need that help. Right. I need that help right. on Sunday morning. Help me to confess my sin better. Yeah, I'm, uh, I also, I would, it's not exactly a caveat I'd stick in at this point, but I would also say that I want to be a little careful with confession of sins that we don't get too specific in public. I think it's good to keep the prayer of confession at a relatively generic level. Certainly believe that particular sins need to be repented of and confessed particularly. But I think in the context of the worship service, we need to to maintain a certain discrete level of generality, if I could put it that way, so that people are able to apply the confession and the word to themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's categories of sin sometimes yeah. that are even uh, in reading God's word back in prayer yeah. Yeah. that I think are helpful in that way. We actually use a liturgy as, as part of our prayer of confession, maybe every six weeks or so. We use a form of the Ten Commandments yeah. where mm-hmm. the minister will read out the commandment and then there's a prayer framed around that commandment That's confessing true. the sins related to that. And we have a lot of very positive feedback from, from people. That's really good. That. That's really good. Yeah. And again, all through this, what we're doing is we're, we, we are praying. We're actually doing something. We're praying as God has called us to do, yeah. but we're also um, uh, seeing our our minds shaped, hopefully more and more by by biblical categories, yeah. and that's that that's that didactic um, element of good public prayer. I want to recommend some books at this point on yep. this. I think uh, mention the Valley of Vision, Banner of Truth. That's an yeah. excellent. excellent book of Book of Common Prayer is mm-hmm. a very good source for public prayers. Uh, Spurgeon's The Pastor. Yes. Prayer from Banner of Truth is very, very good. Samuel Miller, Thoughts on Public Prayer, another old book. And then more recently, Kent Hughes, The Pastor's Book, mm-hmm. which is an amazing book for a variety of reasons, but that has a wonderful section on public prayer, types of public prayer, preparing for public prayer. I would recommend anybody thinking of pastoral ministry, any elder out there, get hold of Kent's mm-hmm. book yeah. and read that section. It's extremely helpful yeah. on, on public prayer. Yeah. And Daniel I, I, Block I, has a great chapter in his book, For the Glory of God, where I was quoting from on prayer that I, th- I learned a lot from. Yeah. I'd throw in there Hughes Oliphant Old's uh, volume in his multi-volume series on worship. There's a whole volume on, on prayer that I've, I keep it next to my desk along with Valley of Vision. Um, and it's really, really helpful. Mm. Very good. So those are great resources, all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for joining us today on Mortification of Spin. We hope you found this to be uh, an edifying and helpful conversation. 
please do think about public prayer. Get your ministers, your elders, your pastors to think about public prayer and how it is integrated into the worship service. And we hope that this will be, therefore, of, of some benefit to the church. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. In line with today's conversation, we'd like to give away a message titled Persevering in Joyful Humility and Prayer by Joel Beakey. Whether it's from the pulpit or in our personal lives, we should continue to persevere in prayer. Find and download this message at mortificationofspin.org. Come back next week when the gang talks about household management as one of the qualifications for pastoral ministry. Well, this one's this one's quite touchy, isn't it? I mean, of all the the qualifications listed in uh, in First Timothy chapter three, the, the one on he, he must manage his household well. That one probably carries with it the most kind of emotional baggage with it, as far as you know, how do you judge that? What criteria are we looking for? How do you tell a man who's a candidate that he can't serve as an office bearer because we've determined that you're not a good manager of your household? That's a tough one. Join us then. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to find posts from Todd, Amy, and Carl and to download Persevering in Joyful Humility and Prayer. You're welcome. I, I didn't even mention the, I didn't even mention the website. Oh, and please visit our website, mortificationofspin.com or org. <laughs> org, org. <laughs> or, or, yeah, that's the one. The mortificationofspin.com people, scum of the earth. Don't touch. <laughs> Don't try this at home, kids. We're professionals. Don't send them any money. Send it to us. That's, yeah. <laughs>